Well, you guys can have a seat. Thank you for joining us. I'm glad to see that not everyone's out enjoying the sunshine on this spring day. Thank you guys for being here. If this is your first time, my name is Luke, and just so glad that you're here. Man, if you're like me, have you ever noticed how we've often programmed this idea of serving or service or giving of our time? It's often been programmed, and it's almost become more of a job than a hobby, if we were going to define it. Jobs are usually done out of duty, whereas hobbies are done out of enjoyment and pleasure. And if we really look at jobs, we could define it as this, as a means to the end, right? A paycheck to put food on the table, whereas hobbies is more of an end to our means, right? We put all the rest of our money into our hobbies. Why? Because we enjoy them. Because it's the thing that lights us up. It's the thing that, that we work all week long for to get to the weekends because we're no longer at our job. We can finally go do the very thing that we love to do. See, serving can often be the same. Or maybe sometimes we think, well, serving is for people that have nothing better to do. Like we see all these criminals and often they're out cleaning trash or they're raking leaves because they're in prison and they have nothing better to do than to go do that. So that's really designed for people that have nothing better to do. They have time to help others, but I'm way too busy for that, right? See, what we're going to see this morning is that the king of heaven has commanded us to do as he has done, and that is we are to serve and not be served. And that's exactly what we're going to see in the text this morning. If you're new with us, we are just working our way through the book of John. So good news for you. We're in chapter 13. So if you have, if you have your Bibles, if you would open there, uh, we are going to study through John chapter 13. Before we get going, I'm going to pray. God, we just give you this morning. God, we thank you that you are faithful. God, and as we're going to see in your word this morning, God, I am so grateful that you came to serve and not be served. God, that you served us in a way by which you went to the cross willingly and with joy so that we might be given life and life to the full. So God, I pray that you would move in this place this morning. I pray that you would have your way, that you would erase anything that's in my flesh and replace it with your spirit. God, this day is all about you. It's all for your glory, and it's all for your name. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So if you have your Bibles, John chapter 13, starting in verse 1, says this, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, and hear this, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. This is a powerful statement. So often, if you're like me, it can be easy to love someone when things are new, when they're fresh, when they're exciting, when there's no tension. But it's more difficult to love when betrayal comes or when someone offends you or hurts you. It's much more difficult to love in that way. What Jesus has said is he loved them to the end. See, he set his mind to love his disciples because love is often more than an emotion. It's a choice. And Jesus said, the reason I came was in love. I am love, and I have come, and I loved my disciples to the end. See, if you're married in this room, many of you took a vow as a covenant before God. Not a contract, but a covenant. And 
You probably said this, that I take my spouse to have and to hold for better or for worse, for richer or for poor, for sickness and in health, to love and cherish until what? Until death do us part. The problem is we often only mean the better, the richer, and the healthier. Right, that's really what we cling to because it's easy to love when things are going well. It's easy to love when your marriage is great or your relationships are great. That is easy to love. What's very challenging to love is when you are betrayed. When someone does something to you that you don't understand, what Jesus is saying here is that he chose to love his disciples to the end. Why? Because that's what love does. That's what true love is. Jesus, knowing that Judas was going to betray him, makes, John makes a statement about him that Jesus chose to love them to the end, knowing the betrayal was coming. What's even more stunning is what Jesus did to Judas before he betrayed him, which we're going to see. See, true love endures to the end. Jesus chose to love them even when they were not easy to love. So I want to say this. Love is worth it. If you're in this place, fight for your marriage. And if you say, Luke, man, my first marriage is already dissolved, or my second, and I'm in my third, that's great. Fight for your third. See, we can't change what has happened, but what we can change is where we're going. And Jesus is saying that he led by example, that he loved them to the end, not in the beginning when all things were great, but to the end. Fight for it. Fight for relationships. Fight for your marriage. Work through those things because that is what love does. That is what Jesus did for us. He fought for us to the very end, hanging on a cross, being beaten and bruised so that we might experience this fullness of life and this fullness of love. Verse 2. During the supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's brother, to betray him, so already we see that what is coming is nothing less than a satanic attack on Jesus, on Judas, on the disciples. It's nothing. That's what it is. This, John lays it out. This was a satanic attack right before Jesus was going to go to the cross as he was going to manifest this love to the very end. Verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God, was going back to God. So he rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Now before we see the weight in this, I want us to see one word. It says, Jesus, knowing what was to come. See, he didn't have to do what he was about to do. He chose to do what he was about to do because it was the will of his father. It was his mission. Everything that was going to follow in this way that Jesus demonstrates what it is to serve, he did not have to do. He's the king of glory. He's the king of heaven. But because of his deep and magnificent love, he chose to. Now, this is interesting because as they're sitting around the table at this Last Supper, they're not sitting like we sit in America. See, they would lay down and they would lay on their left arm usually and eat with their right arm and their feet would be extended back as they sat around or laid around this table. So their feet were pointing away from the table everywhere that you looked. And it says here that Jesus rose from supper and he laid aside his outer 
garments. Don't miss this. Because this is a very strong statement. It's saying he took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. Now, in this culture, the only one that would do this was a menial slave. No one else will do it. It was viewed as shameful to take off your outer garment and wrap this towel around your waist as one was getting ready to kneel down or sit down and wash someone's feet. Only slaves did that. Only servants did that. In fact, it was so degrading that in Jewish culture, Jews even believed that Jewish slaves were not to do that, but Gentile slaves were because it was so incredibly degrading. So here's Jesus, and he rises up from his little mat. He takes off his outer clothing. He wraps this towel around his waist that he is going to dry his disciples' feet with after he concludes this act. And he begins to wash their feet. Peers did not even wash one another's feet, except for very rarely as a mark of great love. What Jesus was doing here, the king of glory, the king of heaven, was making himself the lowest of servants, the lowest of slaves to wash his disciples' feet. If anything, his disciples should have been washing Jesus' feet. This is the king of heaven. But Jesus chose to do so. Why? Because he was going to love them to the end, as we're going to see Jesus came to serve and not be served. Luke twenty-two twenty-seven 27 says this, of Luke's account of the Last Supper. Jesus says, For who is greater, one who reclines at the table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table who is greater? Saying, you are the one's disciples who are reclining at the table. Are you greater? But I am among you, he says, as the one who serves. Verse 6. Or verse 5, then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wiped them with a towel that was wrapped around him. When he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? It's hard to see here, but in the Greek syntax, Peter is literally saying, Lord, you will not wash my feet. I will not let you stoop to that level to wash my feet. I should be washing your feet. Feet. He says, you will not wash my feet. And what does Jesus say? Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. So right now we see that Jesus is pointing towards his glorification once he has gone to the cross and ascended for the atonement of sin. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Nothing. Like Jesus says, if I do not wash you, you can have nothing to do with me. So we see that he is talking about the eternal realm here. He is using this service to point them to why he came. And then I love Peter's answer here. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, if I can have no share with you because of that, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head, just dunk me, Jesus. Right? Like, if, if that's what it takes, do my whole body, do everything about me because I want a share with you. And Jesus is saying, if you don't let me serve you, Peter, you can have no part in me. This is why I came to serve and not be served. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash 
except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that is why he said, not all of you are clean. I want to take a moment, because if you're studious and you've seen your Bible, it probably has a subscript. And if you look at that subscript at the bottom, it says, some of the earliest manuscripts omit except for his feet. It's really kind of a confusing statement with it. If you look, I mean, there were some manuscripts that it just said, it says the one who has bathed does not need to wash, but is completely clean. But most manuscripts have this except for his feet. So we, this idea of like, well, what is it saying except for his feet? Commentators go back and forth on what this really means, and there's lots of debate. But I think this is what it's saying. So this is, this is what I would see in the text as I have studied it, is that in this culture, people would walk with sandals or barefoot. So they could take a bath, and they could be completely clean. But the moment they stepped out of their door, their feet were immediately dirty again. But that had nothing to do with their body being dirty. Everything about them was clean other than their feet. And I think what Jesus is saying here in eternal perspective is this. That unless I wash you, unless I bathe you, you can have no part in me. And yes, you're going to continue to sin. And yes, you're going to continue to do these things. But when I see your feet that are dirty, they need to be washed. Wash them off. Repent. Come back to me. But you are completely clean. I don't view you as dirty. I view you as clean. I view you as cleansed. Why? Because my blood has washed all over you. And I think we're going to see that more as we build that. And I'm going to talk about it later. But just keep that in mind. See, while we still have dirty feet, we are no longer dirty because of them, for Jesus has bathed us in his blood and made us clean. Think about that. The God of heaven looks at you if you have been born again, if you have believed upon Jesus, and even if your feet are dirty, he does not see the filth. He sees the blood of his son washed all over you because you have been cleaned, you have been bathed in the blood of his son. It's amazing. Verse 12, when he had washed their feet and put, on his outer, put back on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? Now we're going to take a switch. He switches from talking about the eternal to now the moral to now he's saying I've led by example so that you would serve as I have served you. He switches the tone. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And don't miss this, for I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Jesus says, you just saw me wash your feet. I'm telling you that unless what is going to come, what is going to happen through the cross, unless I wash you, you can have no part in me. But then he also says, you are to do what I just showed you. I showed you the example. You are also to do that. What, wash everyone's feet? No, that's not what he's saying. <laughs> That'd be silly, right? If 
we went around this room and washed each other's feet because we all have shoes on. Jesus is saying it's the posture of the heart. It's the attitude that he came to serve and not be served. And he said, since I gave you that example, you are to do the same. He's saying the world does not revolve around you. It's not all about you. You are to serve as I have served you. Verse 15, for I have given you example you should also do that. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, that's the key word, if you know these things, which you now all know them because you have just seen them. So there's no excuse. If you know these things, blessed are you if you what? Do them. See, there's a large gap between knowing and doing. And especially in a culture like this where everything is about serving us. Douglas Moo puts it this way. He says this. One of the ways human pride manifests itself in a stratified or layered society is in refusing to take a lesser role. But now that Jesus, their Lord and teacher, has washed his disciples' feet in unthinkable act... There is every reason why they also should wash one another's feet and no conceivable reason for refusing to do so. He says, Jesus says, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. It's kind of backwards of our society, right? In our society, we work to be served and not to serve. Why do you think promotions happen? Because you start out as a janitor and you work your way up. Why? So you don't have to clean toilets anymore. And then when you work your way all the way to the top and you're the CEO, then, well, that's someone else's job. That's, that's below me now. I've worked my way up. Why? Because all of society is built around one thing. You and I being served. That's how it's structured. And we have to consciously look at that. We have to consciously think of that because it is ingrained into our very being. See, I'm not saying that promotion is bad. In fact, it's amazing. It's great. Why? Because it gives us even more leverage to showcase how we serve, to show people how Jesus treated us. See, Jesus has set the bar and he said, it doesn't matter what your title is. He's saying you're still commanded to serve. Think of it this way. Jeff Bezos, one of the richest man, men in the world, CEO of Amazon. It would be like this. In the Amazon warehouse, a massive sewage buildup backs up and spews into the bathroom and into the floors and everything. Do you think that Jeff is going to be the one cleaning the sewage? No, absolutely not. Why? Because he's hired people. He has janitors. He has people in lower positions. Why? To serve in that capacity, to serve him, to serve the business. Jesus is saying the very opposite. He said, not only did I clean up your sewage backup, but he chose to do it with joy. See, Jeff Bezos probably wouldn't clean the sewage backup. Why? Because he's there to be served, not to serve. 
because he's built his way up so that he doesn't have to. Other people have to. Listen to what Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which, cling, which we cling so closely to, and let us run with endurance the race that is set out before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And then it says this, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand. When we showed up this morning, we got here, and I was reflecting upon this as I was praying before the service, and they had a big concert in here, and we show up, and there's someone didn't make it to the bathroom. They went outside and got rid of all their beer or whatever on the front steps. You know what my first thought was when I got here, when Tyler told me? Man, we got to get someone to clean that up. We paid money to be in here. And God hit me like a ton of bricks and said, Luke, this is exactly what you're preaching on this morning. Why don't you go clean it up? Why don't you go find a hose? But see, it's so ingrained into our mind that we don't even think it. It's, it's, like, it's not like we're intentionally trying to be this way. It's just so ingrained that we are to be served and not to serve. And Jesus modeled the exact opposite. Let that sink in. Jesus, the king of glory, came to serve and not be served. The world does not revolve around us. It's not about us. When we've been cleansed by Jesus, it should do something in us to say, man, how can I serve because of this great king that has given everything, this great king that has served me? Truly, his master is not greater. And verse 18, I am not speaking of all of you, for I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread and lifted up his heel against me, I'm telling you this now before it takes place. Jesus saying, I'm telling you this so that you'll believe it when it happens. That when it takes place, you may believe that I am he, who, that I am the savior, that I am the king. Why? Because I told you before it was going to happen. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. And then it says this, and we're going to read this and then apply all this. Verse 21, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. He was deeply broken. He was deeply burned. And why? He says, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus said, it is he to whom I will give the morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he dipped the morsel and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered him. Once again, this was a satanic attack. Jesus said to him, what are you going to do? Do it quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Why? Because Jesus had just told him, I'm telling you early, so when it happens, you will know that I am the king. Some thought that 
Because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what you need for the feast so that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. This is stunning. Jesus chose to wash the feet of the very man that he knew was going to betray him and send him to the cross. He chose to wash his feet. He chose to take the form of a servant, put the towel around his waist, and serve him even when Judas was very difficult to love. Why? Because that's the nature of our Savior, that he has come to serve. So what do we see? We see that we are here to serve and not be served. That is what Jesus is saying. See, God uses service to remind us that we are not the center of the universe. And not only that, Jesus is not asking us to do something that he has not done himself. He modeled it, and he said, because I have now shown it to you, you are to take my example and do it. This is backwards in our society. Everything, like I said, is revolved around you serving me or me serving you. It's hardwired into us. Why? Because we're sinners. We're born into it. That is what sin does. It destroys, and sin makes us think that we are the center of our own world, that we don't need a Savior. Mark 10, 45 says this, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, if Jesus came to serve, how much more should we? In this eye-centered culture, we have the iPhone. We have the masters of the selfies on Instagram or Facebook. If you really look, I guarantee you 90 to 95% of what is posted on social media is selfies. We have filters, right, little bunny ears or whatever it is, or sparkle faces or whatever we can do to make ourselves look good. Why? Because the world revolves around us. Everything revolves around us. We strive for more money so that we can have more self-comfort or my body, my choice, or we are prone to look for our needs at the expense of others. Or if you're like me, I'm guilty of it. I was sitting in traffic this week and there was these two cops that had pulled over this car and there was two kids in it and I'm at the stoplight and the light is green and clearly the people in front of me are too busy looking at whatever the cops are doing and not paying attention to the light. And the first thing I find myself doing is yelling, come on people, move. Like, I got places to be. It's my first reaction. It's my first instinct. Why? Because it was all about me. Because I needed to get somewhere. I had a schedule. I had things that I needed to do. And I'm sure you can relate. See, we fall victim to serving when it works into my schedule, which at that point, it's really not serving at all. Or usually serving is not convenient, and convenient, it takes time, like it, it does. But I want us to hear this, and I was convicted of this myself. 
If we are always too busy to serve someone else, we are just too busy. If our schedule is so crammed, packed around work and family and sports and hobbies and all of this stuff that can be very good, but we never have time to serve someone, we're too busy. Because Jesus himself made time to wash his disciples' feet. Jesus himself made time to serve others. Jesus himself made time as it was predetermined from the creation of time to go to the cross. See, we often just get so busy that we have no time to serve. And please don't hear this. I'm not saying this to like pump service projects or say, yeah, you should show up on Saturday, which you should, it would be great, but that's not the reason for this. Like service can look anything. Service might take two minutes for someone in your family or your spouse to serve them well. Jesus is not talking about a programmed service project. He's talking about a change of heart. He's saying, if you're too busy, Luke, to ever serve your wife, you're too busy. Drop something. And sometimes it's hard to hear because I am very busy. <laughs> and God kind of Punched me in the side of the face this week, showing me, yeah, Luke, you're busy, but maybe you're too busy. If you never have time to serve someone and to love someone well, maybe you need to reorganize your life a little bit. Because I've called you to serve, and I'm not calling you to do something that I myself have not done. See, our existence is not driven by what, by how others can serve me we are to leverage of what I can do to serve others. And it's a mindset change. It's not a legalistic formula. <laughs> just, man, God, just break my heart. Just show me what it is. I mean, it may take one minute to see someone on a sidewalk who needs help. And my first thought is not, oh, I'm too busy. I got places to be. But, man, how can I help this lady? Like, that's all Jesus is saying. He's not saying to give you some calculus formula, because I would fail, trust me, I couldn't even pass, pass pre-calc. He's saying, just, just do what I have shown you, just love people well, just serve them well. Because he said, you should do as I have done. And oh, how we long to be a church that serves well. There are so many needs in this community. We just had a lady call this week, and we're going to try to get a group of people together who need some help with her yard. If we got four or five people, it would probably take an hour. But just to be a people, to be a church that we would see outside of ourselves, that we would not think that we're the center of the universe, that we would not think that the world revolves around us, but that we'd see people as Jesus sees them, hurting and broken and in need. And in eternity one day, that extra $10 or $100 or whatever you made is going to mean nothing. That we would be a people who serve well, not out of duty, but out of response to the gospel. That's the beautiful thing. Jesus is saying, the more you know my heart, the more you know who I am, the more you will be compelled to serve. Why? Because you'll see that I first served you. 
See, we want to be known as a people who consistently and intentionally are looking to serve and not be served. And we have an awesome opportunity next weekend if you're available. We're just going to do whatever Luke and the warming center needs. I don't know what it is. I have no idea, actually. I'm going to show up at 10. I don't know what we're doing. We'll get some direction. And if you can't, that's fine. Like, this is not a guilt trip. Please, this is no guilt trip. I'm just saying there's an opportunity. And if it's not that, maybe you have a neighbor right next to you that needs help, and you see her trying to plant a flower, and she's struggling. Go help her. Like, would we be that type of people that serve because Jesus served us. The second thing we see in this text is this. Dirty feet do not make us unclean. This is amazing, amazing news. That Jesus says, unless I wash you, you can have no part in me. And then he says this, but if I wash you, you are clean even if your feet are dirty. It's amazing. Caroline's dad owns a hunting ranch in South Texas, and I guided down there a bunch when I was in seminary. And as you know, it's a ranch, and so the floors are always dirty. So I would go up and take a shower, and I just remember every time I would get out of the shower, I'd either put on sandals or shoes because I knew the moment I went downstairs, my whole body would be clean, but my feet were going to be filthy. And before I crawled in bed, I had to wipe off my, the bottoms of my feet or my bed would be full of dirt and rocks and mud and everything else because my feet were dirty, but everything about, else about me was clean. And Jesus is saying that if he has washed you, your feet will continually get dirty. You will sin because you are not perfect. But when you do, come to him in repentance and let him wash your feet. We're not going to do it perfectly. We're not going to serve perfectly. We're going to be sitting at a stoplight. I'm probably going to do it this week. And someone's not going to drive. And I'm going to start screaming in my car, right? It's hardwired in us. I'm not perfect. We sin. We, we do things that we wish we would not have done. But Jesus is saying, if I have bathed you, you are utterly clean. And when you mess up, wash your feet off and keep going. When you mess up, trust that I can wash them and you can keep going. Like, don't feel this guilt and shame and burden. Because Jesus is atoned for your sin if you are in him. If you are not in him this morning and he has not bathed you, you are still dirty from head to toe and you can have no part in him. But if you believe upon him, if you believe upon his finished work, you're cleaned and you're cleansed immediately. See, the amazing thing about God is this, that he does not define our cleanliness by how perfectly we walk or by how clean our feet look but by his finished work, by the blood of his son, whom he has declared us clean. That's the beauty of the gospel. That your feet will get dirty. My feet will get dirty. When we serve well, our feet are going to get dirty. We're going to make mistakes. People rub on us. People frustrate us. And it causes us to sin again because we are sinners. That is our nature. But Christ has atoned for it. And he says, you are clean if I have bathed you in my blood. Walk in freedom. Walk in this cleanliness of your soul. And praise God that we have been bathed in the blood, right? That we're not defined by our dirty feet. That we're not defined by our past mistakes or our regrets or wishing we could take back something we said or did. 
or actions that maybe caused someone harm or things that we saw that we wished we could unsee. Jesus says, if I have bathed you, you are clean. God says, all I can see is the blood of my son washed over your sin. Clean off your feet and keep going. See, in Jesus, these mistakes do not define us, for we have been declared clean even with dirty feet. It's remarkable. It causes me to stand in awe and think, woe is me. As we saw last week, right, when we see God's glory, our only response is, woe is me, a man of unclean lips. God, let me praise and worship you. This is the power of the gospel, that dirty feet do not make us unclean. But those who have been bathed do not intentionally seek out mud puddles, right? (laughs) Unless we're a little kid, unless you're a little kid, kids will take a bath, and the moment they're out of the bath, they're outside and they're rolling in mud or doing whatever they're doing, and sometimes that's what the Christian walk looks like. Sometimes when we're new in our faith, we, we, we're, like, we're made new, but we're still trying to learn what it is to walk in this newness. And, and, and we get cleaned and we take a bath, and, but we run towards mud puddles and our feet are always muddy. But as we mature in our faith, what Jesus is saying, what Scripture has said is, although I have made you clean, do not run to mud puddles. Right? Don't run towards sin knowing that your feet can be cleaned. But seek to walk in a way that our feet can remain clean. And we will walk through puddles, no doubt, but we don't seek them. See, that's what Jesus is saying. That's what Scripture says. If we have been redeemed, we don't run towards sin We don't run towards just thinking, oh, man, well, it doesn't matter if my feet get dirty. They'll just get cleaned again. As we see Jesus for who he is, we desire to avoid mud puddles. We desire to dodge mud puddles, but no doubt we will find them. And when you do, Jesus washes them, wash your feet and move forward, but don't seek them out. See, this is what our new nature does is it drives us to Jesus. And when we're driven to Jesus, we will avoid mud puddles. As we wrap up, I want us to see this, that the grace and mercy of God is not a license to sin, but rather a get-out-of-jail-free card. If you've ever played Monopoly, you know that in the game of Monopoly, you buy and sell real estate, and you can pick cards, and There's a corner that says, go to jail, go directly to jail. You go to jail, and the only way to get out of jail is if you have a get-out-of-jail-free card, if you roll doubles, if you make a payment, or if you wait long enough, and then you can get out. See, Jesus is saying, the grace that I've extended to you, the mercy that I've extended to you is not a license to sin. It's not so that you can just run into mud puddles and roll in mud knowing that, oh, it's been atoned for, whatever. He said it's a get-out-of-jail-free card so that when you do sin, you can know that your sin has been atoned for. When we do sin, the enemy will say this, go to jail, go directly to jail, do not pass go, do not collect $200. What does Jesus say? Here's your get-out-of-jail-free card. I've paid for it. In fact, you don't even have to wait to roll doubles. Why? Because the lots were already cast when they hung me on the cross. 
when they cast lots for my clothes, when you cast lots for my clothes because of your sin, don't even worry about rolling doubles. It's already been done. It's already been paid for. He says, you don't have to wait to pay the fine to get out of jail. Why? Because I've paid your fine. I have defeated death. I have defeated the grave. See, Jesus has given us this get-out-of-jail-free card that when we mess up, that when we make mistakes, he says, it's all right. Clean off your feet. Let's keep going. Let's do this together. Try to avoid the mud puddle next time. We're in this together, Jesus says. That's the amazing thing about salvation is that when we're saved, Jesus doesn't say, all right, you're on your own. He says, man, I'm here for you. I'm walking with you. I'm in this with you. And when your feet get dirty, clean them off. Why? Because you have been completely bathed. You have been completely cleaned in my blood. But here's the linchpin. You have to accept that. And if you have never accepted that, you will be separated from this king of glory forever. See, the beauty of salvation is that it doesn't not just keep us from hell or separation from God. It gives us life now. But fair warning, hell is a real place. And it should be factored in like we can't even comprehend it. And Jesus has said, I have come and done everything. I defeated hell. I defeated death. But you have to accept it and you have to believe on me. Because if you don't, it doesn't matter how many times your feet are cleaned, your whole body is still dirty. Your whole body is still a sinner. If you will come to me, I will make you white as snow. And I will wipe your feet. That's the beauty of the gospel. So remember that we are here to serve and not be served. So I ask this, maybe what's a way that you can serve someone near to you this week? All of us probably know of a need. How can we serve? And number two, dirty feet do not make us unclean. And as we think about this, we're going to enter into communion. So if you have a communion cup, I ask you to grab that. If you don't, raise your hand and Tyler or someone else can get you one. But this is what we remember, that Jesus has taken away all of our filth, all of our dirt, that Jesus has taken our body and wiped it, cleaned it white as snow. And we, like Peter, have at one point said, Jesus, don't just wash my feet, wash my hands and my head also. Wash all of me, Jesus. Growing up, I worked a lot for my dad, and he does excavation. And I remember some days we were in, I was in the ditch, and or in the skid steer, and it's just billowing dirt, it's just billowing dust, and you go home and you're completely, look like a completely different person. Like my face is black, my arms are black, just dirty. And I go home and I get in the shower, and as you turn on the shower, all of a sudden you look down and the water is just filthy because it's pouring over my head, it's pouring over my hands and my feet, and it's making all things clean. 
I go in the shower filthy, and I come out of the shower clean. And Jesus is saying that is what he does for us. That we come to him filthy, unrecognizable, entrenched in sin, and his blood washes us clean, and we can wash all of the dirt and all of the pain and all of the sorrow and watch it go down the drain. Why? Because Jesus has made a way. And as we celebrate communion, that is what we celebrate, that this is what Jesus has done for us, that he has bathed you if you're in him. And in communion, we remember what it cost him to make us clean. It cost him his life. Why? Because he came to serve and not be served. If you've never been washed, today is the day. Today is the day that you can come in this place dirty and broken and hopeless and filled with pain. And you can jump in the shower and you can let Jesus wash you white as snow. You can wash all of that down the drain and say, all right, God, now I'm cleansed. Walk with me. And when my feet get dirty, would I turn from that? Would you show me how to run from mud puddles? Would you show me how to avoid that sin in my life? But I need you, God. I need you to walk alongside of me because I cannot do it on my own. You are not designed to. You cannot. You will fail. That's the beauty of the gospel is Jesus grabs you by the hand. And even if you're going through the mud, he pulls you out. It's the power of the gospel. And that's what we celebrate in communion. If the band wants to come up, and 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 29 says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink, eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then Paul offers a warning. Whoever therefore eats this bread and, or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat the bread and drink the cup for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment upon himself. So here's what communion is as we celebrate it. If you are in this room and you have never been washed clean, this is not for you. But the amazing thing is that it can be for you if today, if you just say to Jesus, man, I'm a sinner and I'm in desperate need of a savior. I need you to wipe the dirt off of my entire body, Jesus. I turn from my sin. I believe upon you and you're now my savior and my Lord. This is for you then. It can happen in a moment. But out of love for you, I'm just warning you, if you are not, you, scripture says you drink judgment upon yourself. But if you are in Christ this morning, this is a beautiful thing that we get to celebrate. We get to remember that Jesus broke his body for us so that we could live, that he poured his blood out so that we could have life. So I want us to take one minute in our chair, and I just want us to think, reflect, repent, 
and just come to a place where we say, God, I'm, I'm broken, I'm yours, I'm here. Let God speak to you however he needs to speak to you. And then we'll partake. You want to take the bread. God, we thank you this morning that you came to serve and not be served, God, and the way that you served was you broke your body for us, God. You're, you were crushed for our transgressions, for our sin, that we may be given life. God, we thank you for sending Jesus to be broken so that we might have life. God, and as we eat this bread, we remember the sacrifice that was made at the cross so that we might be clean, so that we might be white as snow. Take the bread. And God, as we open the juice, I just, I thank you for your blood that was spilled. That because of your blood, because you spilled your blood for us, God, on our behalf. We were given great life. We were given hope. We were given a future. God, this was the ultimate sacrifice that you would spill your blood so that we would have life and life to the full. Thank you for serving us in that way, God. As we drink this juice, God, we remember your blood that was spilled for the atonement, for the forgiveness of our sins, and we praise you for it. Take the juice. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you that you are faithful and you are good. We thank you that you take what is unclean and make it clean. God, would you make us a people that are quick to serve, that it's not a job, but it becomes a hobby. God, that serving is not a means to the end. God, but that we would serve you because it is the desire of our heart. Do a deep work in this place this morning, God. Refine us, grow us, challenge us. Would we be a people that serve and don't look to be served? Jesus, would we follow your example? For you came to serve and not be served. So God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for how you have made us white as snow if we are in you. If there's someone in this room that is not in you, God, would today be the day of salvation? Oh, Father, would you draw them to yourself? For we cannot come to you on our terms. Holy Spirit, do a deep work in this place. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.